You're listening to Film School, broadcasting every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time at KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, and on the web at KUCI.org slash filmschool. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. In his new film, That Evening Sun, our guest today, Scott Teams, tells the story of Abner, an aging Tennessee farmer played by Hal Holbrook, discarded to a nursing facility by his lawyer's son, who goes AWOL from the old folks' home and catches a ride back to his country farm to live out his days in peace. Or so he thinks. That Evening Sun won Best Narrative Feature at the South by Southwest Film Festival. It will open in Los Angeles this Friday, November 20th, Scott Teams, welcome to Film School. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, how are you doing? Doing well, doing well. Yeah, just uh, looking forward to this weekend. It's um, you know, it's such a long journey to to get to the place where you can finally uh, let your film out, yep. you know, into the world. And so we're excited to be at that place. Are you taking deep breaths now? Is that <laughs> what you're at? <laughs> uh, you know, at this point, it's kind of. I mean, it, in some respects, it's out of my hands. You know, yeah. we've we've done the work and. And and we've put the time in, and now we kind of let the people decide, I guess. So oh. it's uh, it's interesting, and it's a fi- my first time in this position. So um, I'm just kind of like along for the ride. I'm enjoying it and trying oh. not to not to miss it as it goes by. Oh, it's a it's a beautiful film. It's, Thank it's you. just captivating. I was I was right there from the beginning, and Thanks. I'm kind of a jaded person. So that's <laughs> that's, that's good. That's, that's saying good. something for me. <laughs> now, I, <laughs> What, this is based on a short story by William Gay, and uh, mm-hmm. had you read a lot of his stuff before, or how did you first get into this? I had not, but I had heard his name quite a bit. I'm, I'm, I grew up in Atlanta, and uh, you know, southern fiction is is my favorite genre. Flannery O'Connor is kind of my literary hero, yeah. you know, and and uh, Walker Percy, James Dickey. Uh, Thomas Wolfe. These guys are the folks I read, and and uh, I'd always heard William Gay's name and, and associated with those writers as kind of a, a newer kind of breed of of Southern writer, and along with guys like Larry Brown, Alan Gerganis, and Barry Hanna, these kind of guys. And so one day I picked up a book of short stories that William had written, and and this was the first story in the book, and it just caught me, you know, right from the beginning. And I just I'd been looking for a Southern story to tell, and I had written a, a bunch of scripts, but they all kind of sucked and so uh, i was looking for a great story you know i wanted to tell this southern story just to kind of pay homage to i haven't lived in the south in over 10 years but i I still it's very much part of who i am and and uh the story just grabbed me from from the outset now now when you're reading short stories are are you thinking cinematically or are you thinking it as a novel um, I'm always thinking of it as a movie. I guess I'm always looking for <laughs> something yeah. to do. Uh, so I kind of have my own selfish motives in reading. But I, I like, and I also love short stories for a number of reasons. But at this point in my life, now that I have like three small children, I like them because I can actually finish a short story, <laughs> where it's very hard <laughs> to get through a novel these days for me. So, uh, uh, but they actually, I think it was, I think maybe it was Hitchcock who said that, that short stories tend to make the best movies because they're the, the only two kind of stories that are meant to be consumed in one sitting, so they yeah. often are kind of good for each other. And I found that to be true mm-hmm. uh, in my short experience. And um, and so it just for me it was great because it gave me this kind of great setup. Uh, a, a guy comes back to his house and someone's living there. You know, boom, very kind of classic in its c- construct there. And then it kind of gave me four or five kind of key 
plot points throughout the story. It gave me a beginning, middle, and end, basically. But what it didn't have were the relationships, um, you know, and so it allowed me to come in and, and actually write, you know, and, and bring something to it and hopefully just ex- kind of expound on the, the themes and the voice uh, of William Gay in the story. And uh, so I could actually do uh, my own writing as opposed to in a novel where you often have to just kind of pare down to the bare bones, you know, pick, pick the best scenes and put it all together and cut a lot of stuff out. Here I could add stuff to it, you know, yeah. expound upon it. And as long as you're uh, structure, I think, is, is sound and, and can sustain a full feature. I think that, that can make a great uh, jumping-off point, a short story can. Yeah, now, William Gay visited the set where you were, were at. He did. How, how yeah. did that go for you? Did you uh, Were you excited was, about that? A little bit yeah. nervous? Yeah, it was... Um it was interesting, you know. You always kind of a little. You know, I respect the guy a whole bunch, and he's been really. He was really great throughout the process in that he very much respected boundaries and understood kind of the exchange. You know, once you take money for the rights to your story, you give up creative control. He understood that. A lot of authors, I think, probably have a harder time doing that. Um, and this was actually the first story that William ever had published, so he had. It's very close to his heart. Uh, but he was very respectful always. But I wanted to keep him involved in the process, so I would send him drafts of the script periodically as over the two or three years that it took to get the financing for the film. So he was very involved, and he came to the set. But you still have apprehension when he comes, you know, because you want the world you've created to be the world that was in his head or something like it, you know. Yeah. And so, uh, and he when he got there, you know, we we had we had built this. Uh, this little tenant shack on the property that's kind of a, a, where, where the old man goes and, and lives uh, for the duration of his time there. And um, it's, it's kind of built very close to the main house. It's kind of the, the conceit from the story. So we had to build it. And uh, he came and he was just like, man, that's exactly what I, how I pictured that tenant house looking. So that was really uh, gratifying. And, and uh, we kind of breathed a, a sigh of relief. Yeah, um, that's I, I, an amazing tenant house too. To yeah. think that mm-hmm. that you built that, uh, yeah, it, it's it looks like it had been there for a hundred years. Hundred years, yeah, yeah, absolutely, it's remarkable. Yeah, Mara Lapierre Schloop, she was the production designer, and she's just uh, I was pretty blown away by what they were able to do. Yeah. Now, when you're reading the this this uh, short story by William Gay, mm-hmm. um, we, and you were thinking somewhat cinematically about it, did you envision uh, Hal Holbrook in this role? Mm-hmm. Not really, honestly. I mean, at that point, I kind of didn't know who it was going to be. I mean, when you when you have a when you write a lead for an eighty year old Tennessee farmer, you're kind of you know you kind of don't have a lot of options out of the gate. You know, there's not a lot of guys who could play the role, much less who could actually kind of be a name that can get you any money. But quite frankly, I, I had long ago kind of written off Hal Holbrook as um, Mark Twain, as the guy in the in the yeah. coat and the suit, as the lawyer, the judge, the guy with the mustache. You know, it's like <laughs> I just didn't, I didn't envision him in that role. I actually wrote this first draft of this script in 2005. It's been a long journey. Mm-hmm. And so the first couple of years, this, he was nowhere on our radar, and we had still not found anyone to play this role who we felt could really do it justice. And then in the fall of 07, we all kind of, me and myself and the producers, independently all kind of saw uh, Into the Wild and saw what Sean Penn, how he reimagined Hal, you know, and just a whole new light and for a whole new generation and just and, and kind of 
um, introduced to this kind of very virile, physical man who was also old. I mean, that was the great balance I was looking for in this character was a guy who has this amazing strength, and, and you believe that he would stand up for himself and fight for this farm, and it wouldn't be funny because you know, it wouldn't be a joke. He'd be really, you, you would feel like he could do this. At the same time, you would be going, oh, God, please be careful. You know, like yeah. you're fragile, you're old, and so I need someone who is not afraid to be 80 years old and show it. And it might be shocking to hear that actors have sometimes a hard time being old, you know, and like, so they don't like to show their their age in, in a house. But Hal was, was so brave, and I said, Hal, you're not going to wear any makeup. I'm going to put you in these old raggedy, you know, wife-beater T-shirts, and, and, uh, and, and we're going to show your age. And he was like, let's do it. So uh, it was remarkable, yeah. We're speaking with Scott Teams. The book, the book, the uh, the film is uh, that evening sun. It opens this Friday in Los Angeles and uh, anywhere. Is it rolling out across the country, or are we opening in LA? Well, it actually, it is opening actually in Irvine as well. Yeah. It's opening at the um, at the Regal West Park in Irvine right. and uh, and in Encino, and then um, we're opening in Palm Springs the week after, and uh, I think Santa Barbara, and then we're going to go. Probably we're in New York right now. It's playing in New York as well, and. Um, and then we're going to expand out. You know, I, I hope we keep going. You know, a lot of it depends on how it does. But our goal is to I think we're going to go back south, hopefully, and and, and kind of open in Atlanta, Nashville. I hope and, and I, I would think it would. Southeast. I would think it would do very well. Yeah, you yeah. would think so. You you would hope so. If it can't play well in the south, I don't think it's going to play well anywhere. No, it, but. It's, it's just it's just <laughs> terrific. It, it, there are so many uh, great actors in this. We uh, Hal Holbrook, yeah. by the way. You know, this is also on the part of a, a producing team, a director. Uh, Hal is carries this film. I mean, he's in yeah. virtually every scene, uh, right. and uh, uh, he more than more than carries the film. He really do, does embody what That's this story. Say anything bad about the rest sure. of the cast? Oh, not at all. Means, no, yeah. and, and in fact, and that, this the, where I was going was the rest of this cast is quite remarkable. Uh, yeah. uh, and uh, uh, let's let's talk about. Uh, a Chote uh, here a little yeah. bit. Uh, yeah. Lonzo? Yeah. Lonzo. Lonzo Chote, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, he just Ray refers McKinnon. to him as Chote. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Ray, that's Ray McKinnon. And, and this is the uh, the part you embellish quite a bit from the short story. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. It is. I mean, it, it's not as much embellished, but I guess just tried to really create a full kind of... I mean, he plays a very archetypal type of character, the kind of ignorant redneck kind of guy. And... We've all seen that done really poorly, and in in the story, he kind of serves that purpose, and it's a you know it's kind of a it serves a, it plays well in the story because of its literary nature, I guess, and just it's very much the story is very much Abner Lonzo centric, you know, it's very much that conflict, and mm-hmm. Lonzo serves as the bad guy, but you put skin on a guy like that, and it just kind of falls flat. You need to have more there, and I wanted to see the humanity behind this guy who would trying to, you know, pipe dream or not, he's trying to to uh, start a new life for himself and his family and, and shake his demons out at the same time, and, and uh, he's not doing so good at it, you know. Yeah. And so, uh, but you needed a, a fully fledged, fleshed out character. And, and, and Ray McKinnon, you know, to have, the, A, the courage to kind of stand toe-to-toe with Hal Holbrook, and, and he did what he does so, uh, and then some. And he's a great character actor. And I'll cast this film primarily with folks who have made their careers doing character work. And I tend to love those kind of actors because they tend to be the great craftsmen, you know, and uh, they just disappear into roles and 
and they also relish though opportunities to step into the spotlight a little more, you know, and and uh, like Ray and, and Walton Goggins and and Carrie Preston and Barry Corbin, these folks are are just amazing uh, professional actors, you know, and and it was wonderful to give them chances with have little meteor roles that they might be used to having. Now, now with uh, Lonzo Choate, Ray McKinnon's character is mm-hmm. as ugly and as violent as he could be. Yeah. Uh, uh, Mike and I were talking about this b- before we went on air, just how, how much w- you could sympathize with the yeah. character. Mm-hmm. W- was, uh, you know, that's got to be part of the writing. It's also got to be uh, part of the acting. Did you talk to sure. Ray about that, or do you guys just uh, yeah. gravitate right on it? Well, the great thing about having, see, Ray and Walton are also producers on the film, and they've actually been involved in the film for a couple, about two or over two years. And so I had gone to them way back in late 2006, approached them uh, about, about being a part of the movie because they're actually filmmakers themselves and have made three wonderful, very authentic Southern films, one of which won the Oscar for Best Short Film. It's called The Accountant. Back in '02, they made a film called Crystal, which is a wonderful film. Um, and so, um, they, I just respected them as filmmakers and had, and as actors, and had written these roles for them specifically. Approached them and said, "Hey, I want you guys to come on board, shepherd me and my producing partner Terrence Berry through this process. This is our first movie. You know, we need somebody to kind of guide us uh, around the, the potholes, you know, and, and steer us in." So. They came on board as producers, and the great kind of gift there was that Ray and Walt uh, and I both had, uh, all the three of us had, had about two years to work on their characters. Walt plays Paul, the son, and Ray plays Lonzo. And so we were able to really dig into those characters particularly and, and just make them flesh them out. So by the time we got to shooting, Ray um, was just, he was just Lonzo. It was all over him, and he, would, he had spent a long time getting to that place. And it's a pretty dark place. Yeah. that he goes to, and it's a really uh, brave performance, ugly performance, as you said. And um, But it was great because he had had that time to really get to know both the character and what I wanted the character to be. And uh, so it was a, a nice way for that uh, well, to happen. Well, Scott, it's in the writing and it's in, the, and it's in his performance, but you just mm-hmm. give us uh, sort of details, uh, uh, just enough detail, backstory mm-hmm. on him and... Uh, you know his, his his injury and what how it occurred and all that just enough to give us that humanity and then allow him to make that work as well. So it's a good combination of the writing and uh, and then of, of his characterization. Uh, yeah. Did you did you re- did you rehearse? I mean, different act, uh, different directors handle these things different. You spend a lot right. of time in rehearsal. Did you most of it on set or um, how how did that work for you? Uh, we basically had uh, we had zero rehearsal because, <laughs> okay. in large part, due to just the fact that we are a very small independent film right. and um, we shot on location in Tennessee. The actors primarily came from Los Angeles, but they were kind of. From, I mean, Mia Wachowska was in Australia, where she's from. Yeah. Um, you know, Ray lives in Little Rock, Arkansas. Hal and Carrie and Walt were in Los Angeles. Um, barriers okay. in Texas, you know, they're kind of all over the place. But uh, and so we just couldn't, and, and because we shot, you know, over a month, then you know the, the, the actors are there at different times. We just never had everyone in, in the same place at one time, not even once, which is kind of sad. But also, just the nature of of how it works in this kind of movie. So right. we didn't, and uh, we just kind of showed up on set, which 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 is unfortunate because I probably could have saved a lot of time working out some things in advance, but. You know, we kind of just did what you have to do. You show up on set, you work it out, and yeah. you just trust. For me, it means just 
you know, casting, casting, casting. Like if you can do it right, who's it? Clint Eastwood said, you know, the great thing is 90% casting, and that's really true. I mean, you can do that. You get the right people, then you can trust and let them go, and you don't have to worry about it. And uh, that was a really a great gift that I had was were just talented actors who had far more experience than I did, and uh, and let them just let them go do their thing. So, what you have a thirty day shoot? Is that what you said? No, about twenty two days. Twenty two. Wow. Yeah, it was that very, is a, that's very scary. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty it's, tough. So this is your your first feature mm-hmm. film, right? Uh, what did what did you take away from it? What did you learn in that process? Oh man, what did I not learn? You know, the learning <laughs> curve is so intense. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd made a bunch of short films, and in my short films, I'd tried to kind of build up, you know, build a bigger crew each time, kind of doing kind of dry runs. You know, so by the time I made my last short film, I had a thirty-man crew and kind of a kind of fully functioning film set. But even that's just you know, not nothing like the real thing. And this, when it's a lot of money on the line and not a lot of time it's just really intense go 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 i learned but what i learned a lot was was to really trust your collaborators which i'd always you know in theory knew but like never had to put it into real practice and when you and you have to because you just don't have any other choice you can't do everything yourself in that kind of environment and so you know, trusting your DP, trusting your production designer to go and create and, and giving them freedom to create. And I'm far happier whenever I let someone go and, and, and do their thing and add to it. It's usually so much better than I could have imagined in my limited, you know, framework. So uh, I let somebody go create on their own and if giving them the right direction, but let them give them freedom to do their own thing, whether it's, uh, you know, in the, in the art department, yeah. camera department, acting, just trusting your collaborators and 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 not and, and trusting the story that if it's there in the script it's, it's you know it's on the page it's it's really hard to screw that up just do it on the page and you can pretty much you know I think you can get by with it we had you know I had to simplify a lot that's another big thing I learned was that I would had a had a lot of these kind of massively constructed coverages and camera moves and all this garbage and and we'd get <laughs> down to it and there wasn't time yeah. and just didn't have time and I had to simplify and get down what's the important here, what's what's really important here always was the characters and the moment, and so I would simplify it and get out of the way. And usually, those became my favorite scenes in the film. I mean, a scene like um, Abner and his neighbor Thurl, played by Barry Corbin, the great Barry Corbin, you know, sitting on their porch talking. You know, I had these big moves and things, trying to make it, trying to jazz it up a little bit. And then when I ran out of time, I just stick the camera in a two shot and shoot him. And that's like an amazing scene. Just yeah, the two yeah. of those guys in a nice long take sitting on a porch, and it's me getting out of the way and trusting the story. Well, there you go. I think invest, you you allow your crew and your cast to be invested in the in the story and, yeah. and in the film itself. And by the way, I'm glad you mentioned Barry, uh, Barry Corbin. Uh, mm-hmm. Always, he's one of those guys, every time you see him, you, you know, he's just as, he's rock solid, and, yeah. and he is in this film as well. We're speaking yeah. with Scott Teams, the, the, the film is That Evening Sun, it opens this Friday. Also appreciated the the way you handled the violence in the film. Yeah. And I don't know mm-hmm. how intentional that was, whether it was a matter of budget, but whatever it was, it, there's so much more insinuated in the violence, which made it that much more frightening and, and disgusting yeah. than to have to see everything happen. It was, it, it was, I, I I don't know. I want to say there's a a beauty in violence, but by showing it the way you showed it. And, well, right. And getting I mean, the yeah. reactions of people at work far better. Yeah, that, that's like um, that's just. I mean, the imagination is so much more powerful 
oftentimes than what we can do visually, you know, and like if you just, you know, give them, you know, reactions are just amazing. I remember having a really profound effect on me was, was LA Confidential, and there's, when I saw it, I was in college, and there's that scene when Guy Pierce shoots a guy in the elevator, uh-huh. and and they don't show it. You see the blood splatter on him, and you see his look on his face, yeah. and the shock on his face and the impact was so much more powerful than if you had seen, you know, the thing happen. So yeah. I just I, I tend to see, to put a lot of faith in in the audience's imagination, and I want to to utilize that. And it is, I mean, a combination of budgetary stuff, but also just that's not where my interests are. You right. know, I just I want to be doing so. Hopefully, telling a story that's deeper. Oftentimes, you know, you just it's just you just kind of it's salacious. The violence is often like sex. You know, for me. It, those things are, are things that I'd rather investigate the motives underneath those things than the thing itself. And uh, oftentimes if you show the thing itself, then you can kind of miss the motives or you get you get your own motives screwed up. You know? yeah. So I get to really ask myself a lot of times, why am I showing what I'm showing? Is it kind of a... Not a, it's a very kind of subtle sex scene in the film, not even a sex scene, it's just kind of a seduction thing and with with the wife and the husband and and it's again it's about trying to get across the the awkward emotional vulnerability of that moment um and the kind of primitive uh fairly disgusting urges of Lonzo in that moment but not make it titillating you know and and then not try to like making sure my motives in in presenting it are are in line with what the scene's trying to say. And this can often be conflicting, you know, because, you know, some people might want you to show more because that attracts viewers or whatever. But, um, you know, you've got to find the balance. You've got to be yeah. true to the story. Well, Scott, on that, on that particular scene, I, what I took away from it was this idea of the intimacy and the awkwardness. So it really revealed, I mean, it was sexual in, in, in intent in some ways, right. but it was... It was you're seeing you're really seeing into the uh, relationship in a very intimate level and how yeah. completely awkward and uncomfortable that intimacy was in that moment. Um, yeah, that, that scene was really when I wrote that scene, which kind of came late in the process. I had written I mean the script had been around for a couple of years, and I still hadn't really clicked into Lonzo, and it wasn't until I wrote that scene because that's, that's the thing you don't see often with that kind of character. You don't see the kind of the villain guy having to be vulnerable with his wife, you know, like yeah. you don't ever spend time with that kind of guy. And to me, that was a really a real key scene in the writing of the film to kind of uh, create this three dimensional character in Lonzo. I would be uh, remiss not to mention uh, Carrie Preston too. Yeah, but who, who's uh, yeah, who's uh, who's gotten herself quite a role in a Tim Burton film coming up, too. So this is... Well, no, well, that, 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 that's, uh, that's Mia. Mia Wachowska. Oh, that's right. right. I'm sorry. Yeah, but Carrie... But Carrie, on, yeah. Carrie's amazing. She's yeah. on True Blood, you know, and yeah. and she's wonderful. But, but yes, Mia Wachowska, sure. yeah, so she's... Uh, we cast her in this film, and then about two weeks later, Tim Burton cast her as Alice. Yeah. Uh, and Alice in Wonderland, which is, an, of course, a nice little uh, bonus for us. But <laughs> yeah. uh, but she's just... But, you know, it did not cast her with any intention of that whatsoever. Oh, yeah, she's just amazing and wonderful and, and I had to be convinced that she's from Australia and she's the only non native southerner in this cast. Um, except for Hal, but Hal's married to Dixie Carter, so she's southern enough for both of them, you know. <laughs> and uh and he's been living in Tennessee for twenty five years and is an honorary Tennessean. But Mia is from Australia and um 
my casting director, Emily Schweber, really was like, you have to meet this girl, and she's, she's so great. And I was not, I was pretty wary of that, because I, I've heard too many bad southern accents. <laughs> you know, being from the south, I'm hypersensitive yeah. to it, and just didn't want to see it done wrong. And Mia is just a fabulous actor, has this ear uh, for dialect that's, that's uncanny. I mean, she was in treatment that showed you kind of a California teenager girl, and in defiance, she was this Polish bride, and and then in uh, Amelia, and then like so, she's really talented, and um, yeah, the world's going to see a lot more of her pretty soon, and as they should, she's she's fantastic. And uh, without we're running a little bit uh, short on time, and I can't let yeah. you get away without commenting on another important element of the film, and that is the music. Uh, yeah. Not only we've got the Jimmy Rogers, but Michael Penn. Yeah, and uh, and uh, terrific. Well, how was it? you work with him on uh, the soundtrack? And uh, yeah, it was good. No, I heard you playing Jimmy Rogers as it came out of the break. There, yeah. it's it's really nice. You know, the, the short, short story is really infused with this kind of uh, music spirit of music, and I wanted to get that into the movie without having a lot of music actually in the movie because I wanted it to be a very quiet film like this isolated farm that we're at and. So when the music came in, it needed to matter. And, and Michael Penn, I met with him, and he watched the movie, and and he said to me, uh, the movie feels very tribal. It feels very primitive. And I was like, those are great words. Because I, I, I didn't want the, movie, the music to be regional. I didn't want it to be twangy banjos and stuff. With the characters and the accents and locations, you were never going to forget where you were. I wanted the music to kind of speak to the kind of larger themes, fathers and sons, life, death, land, and, and Michael just got that. And then I brought Patterson Hood from a band called the Drive-By Truckers in to do a couple of songs and just wrote these wonderful songs and gave us kind of a nice southern flavor without without at all falling into that cliche that, that I was really wary of. So Yes. Well, it's, it's a beautiful film. Yeah. Thanks. Absolutely beautiful, Scott. It's, it's one of the best narrative films I've seen this year in, in oh, a long you. time, really. It's just it's thank really you. striking, and it really gets under your skin and stays with you, and that's what, what matters to me in a film. Yeah. Uh, the film you is much. You're welcome. The film is That Evening Sun. We've been speaking with Scott Teams, the uh, director. Scott Teams, thanks so much for being a part of Film School. Thank you for having me. To learn more about Film School, listen to more interviews, or subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at KUCI.org slash filmschool.